0: During this advent season we have been looking forward to the second advent or the second coming of Jesus Christ and uh, today we are looking at 1st Thessalonians so let me invite you to turn there to the second chapter you'll find that on page 986 in the Bibles that we have for you in the pews I was uh, flipping through my news feed last week and I have no idea why someone has written an article on this now because it's quite old news but Uh, A title of an article caught my attention. It was Tough Guy, Charles Bronson. His epitaph may surprise some. Now, if you don't know Charles Bronson, I mean, I'm old enough to have seen many of his movies. He always played the tough guy. Some of his movies were pretty good. Some of them were pretty awful. But on his memorial stone underneath Loving, caring husband and father are the words of a poem written in 1934. And the words read this way Do not stand in my grave and weep. I am not here. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond's glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the autumn's gentle rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift, uplifting rush of quiet birds in circled flight. I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not here. I did not die. Now, there are hints of things there that are true, but at the end of the day, when you look at that and look at the sentiment that's there, I, as I read that, I just thought, that's so very sad. Uh, that's the, that that was the way he would think about what is to come. Now, that was the best, perhaps, that he knew in the moment. But I'll tell you what it did. It took me back to a Linda Ronstadt song. Now, I love Linda Ronstadt's music. I've listened to it since it first started coming out. But she sang a song that always struck me as so incredibly sad as well called Goodbye My Friend because of the way she looked or she faced death of a, of a friend. And here are the words. Uh, we never know when death will shake us and we wonder how it will feel so goodbye my friend. And then she says this, I'll never see you again but the time together through all the years will take away these tears. Uh, Memories, in other words, are all that she has left, and it's those memories that will take away these tears. But is that really enough for us to take away the tears? I, I don't believe so. If there's nothing beyond this grave, then I think our grief has no end. Aren't we glad that we know the one who has promised to wipe away every tear? He's also the one who has committed to raising us, his children, up from the grave. We will not become a thousand winds that blow or the diamonds glint on snow. We will become perfect versions of ourselves as we've been looking at uh, during this advent season, and and this is one of the beautiful things that is ours in Christ, we will be reunited with all those who have died in the Lord. And that's what I want to show you to begin with this morning from First Thessalonians. We're going to begin looking. In chapter 2, verse 17, but before we actually read that verse, what you need to know is right before that, you have the Apostle Paul share with the Thessalonians his deep love for them. He says, you know how much we loved you. You had become so very dear to us. And then he goes on in verse 17 to speak about his intense longing to be with them. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Now, he goes on then, as we move down through chapter 2, to make it clear that he sees his ongoing relationship with the Thessalonians as part of his heavenly reward. And we see that beginning in verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul then speaks about the second coming of the Lord with all his saints in chapter 3. And spells that out a bit for us in chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, thank you for the hope beyond this life. Thank you for the good things you give to us in this life. But, Lord, they are only glimpses of what is to come. Foretastes. tastes. And so, Father, today, as we look at your word, as we think about the truth of the second advent and what the Lord Jesus will bring to us at that point and what our lives will be like, help us, Lord, to believe your word, for it is true. Amen. There's a a verse in Philippians chapter 1 that I really love. And sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes I don't really feel this as much as I do at other times. Sometimes I feel it pretty strongly. But here here are Paul's words about his own heart to be with the Lord. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, he's wrestling here with, uh, do I stay, as it were, and and minister to you, which is the calling God has placed on my life? Well, of course, I'll do that as long as the Lord puts me on this earth. But if you want to really know the truth about me, I cannot wait to go and be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And so my question at the very beginning here is this, do you feel like that? Have you felt like that? Are there moments at least when you can say uh, with Paul, my desire is to depart and be with the Lord for that is so much better. As we finish up this series this morning, what I want to try to give to us all is the ability to at least take a step further in that direction by showing us even more of what is to come so that hopefully, like the Apostle Paul, we can truly know and long for what is to come. Now, I will tell you, there are moments when I get so excited about what is to come that I, I really wish Jesus would just come on. Let's go. I'm ready for what you have to bring us. Uh, no more evil in the world. No more evil in my own heart. No more sorrow only joy. I will be made new, you will be made new, and together we will live on this earth made new. And and the, and the new earth, we've been talking about this a lot, but here's a good way that someone has put it that I think kind of helps in a really quick way to get what this earth will be like when Christ makes it new. The new earth, he said, is everything that we loved about the old earth minus the curse of sin. That's our future. So, as we talked about last week, this is not our only chance at life on the earth. But here's really what I want to address today. Here's the question I want to ask you today that I want to kind of play out during this morning together. Here's what I want to get us to think about. So, life on the new earth, what in the world are we going to do? What's it going to be like? How are we going to spend our days and our nights? And and what I'm going to try to do this morning is at least scratch the surface by being as practical and as concrete as I can. Uh, One of the things we hope you will see uh, during this entire Advent series is that the future that Christ will bring to us is a lot more like this earth, like this life, than we have perhaps been taught to believe. Only so much better because the curse of sin will be gone. Everything that has affected us because of sin will be removed. So, here's what I want to touch on. Three things. First, we will enjoy the richest fellowship imaginable. In fact, quite frankly, beyond what we can imagine. Second, we will enjoy the most fulfilling work. Now, if some of you are groaning inside when you hear about work in the future, just hold on. I think you'll like it. Yes, there's going to be rest, but there's going to be work. Good work. And third, we will worship God with all our might. All right, first, we will enjoy the richest possible fellowship. Now, as I read a moment ago, one of the things that Paul looks so forward to is reunion with his brothers and sisters in Christ. And and so, we will recognize each other. We will enjoy being with each other. And and that's true even before Christ returns, uh, when we go to to heaven. And, And you see that, for example, when Peter, James, and John watch Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah. And it's clear that Peter recognizes Moses and Elijah, and there's no indication that he's introduced to them at all. He just recognizes them. You know, you also see that sometimes at the bedside of one of God's children when that person is nearing death. And I I remember very clearly how deeply moved I was when... Uh, when I read the true story of the dying words of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. It was really obvious that he was in his last hours. He was hovering somewhere between heaven and earth. And and he just said to the the people gathered at his bedside that God was calling him home. He knew that. And here's what he went on to say. He was beginning to see the glory. And, And now... The Moody's had sadly lost two young grandchildren. And at one point, Moody says this, I have been beyond the gates of death. I have been to the very portals of heaven. And then you can imagine how deeply touched the family was when Moody suddenly cried out, Dwight, Irene, I see the children's faces. those loved ones in Jesus who have been taken from us in death will be restored to us. I mean, listen to the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. This is what the sovereign Lord says. In that day, I will give the signal and they will carry your little sons back to you in their arms. They will bring your daughters on their shoulders. And and one person who was working through that passage said this about it. I have to think, That means parents who have lost children, maybe in an accident, a disease, or a miscarriage, will see that son brought back by the angels in their arms or their lost daughters being carried back to them on their shoulders. Can you imagine the joy of that day? So we'll recognize each other. We'll be with our loved ones in the Lord who have gone to be with the Lord. But what then about the fellowship? What's it going to be like when we actually are enjoying the kind of fellowship that the Lord holds out for us, for us in our future? Well, I'm going to, uh, you know, there's just so many things I've thought about, but I want to try to make this as concrete as I can. So let me give you a couple of things uh, that I'm, well, several things I'm looking forward to. I've lost my mother. I'm looking forward to being reunited with her. She loved the Lord and uh, um, was a big influence in my life and certainly have lost other friends and family members in the Lord and cannot wait to, to see them again and sit and catch up and, and, and talk. But let me give you a couple of other, other things that um, this may be a little odd thinking, but I'm trying to think about this as realistically as possible. Uh, Judy and I have, because of uh, the calling of God on our lives, we have lived in a number of different places, including in different parts of the world. And and so God has given us really dear friends all over. And, uh, you know, if we were to sit down and really think about all the friends that we have in different places, and the fact that we really can't spend any time with them, hardly ever, or don't get to see them or talk with them as much as we would like to, it gets pretty sad. Uh, you know, because we've got dear friends, and we just, there's just no way to be together. And, and what I look forward to, quite frankly, on the new earth is being with dear friends that I get to see only very, very rarely, and, and catching up, telling our stories with each other, and, 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 and just living life together again and can, and can do it for all eternity. Now, here's another thing, though, that I look forward to, and you may not be able to relate to this, but it's part of my story, so I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, I spent years of my life, literally years of my life, working on a biography of one man, a 19th century Scottish theologian. His name is William Cunningham. And what that meant, to, to be able to write this biography, I had to read just about everything he'd ever written and everything ever written about him or to him or from him. So letters and news articles, journals, books. And, uh, and so for years, literally three years, in Scotland, I just spent poring over all of this. And uh, so here's what happens when you spend that much time with somebody, even though he's long gone, he died in 1861, uh, you get to know so much about him. And, and so I got to know, you know, not only his brilliance as a theologian and as a leader, but also I got to know the, the heart that he had as I see him write about losing children at a young age. I got to to read about the fact that when he got near death's door, the the whole denomination rallied to raise money for his family because they knew that there wouldn't be much left to take care of them. And I I got to read about the fact that, you know, on the day of his funeral, people lined the streets of Edinburgh to watch the carriage go by. And Judy will tell you... You know, it's, I know it sounds ridiculous, but the last day when we're heading out to Glasgow to fly back home for good, uh, we stopped by his gravesite. I hadn't been there in the three years that we lived there, and I cried. I mean, I cried because I had gotten to know this guy. I mean, I, I know just about everything anybody can possibly know about one man. So here's what I look forward to. First of all, sitting down with him and saying, did I get you Right. <laughs> Did did what I say really accurately reflect who you are? And and then now I'll probably ask him, and what did I miss? Give me some of the good stuff. And then though that I really look forward to is just being able to sit with this man that uh, I love at least so much about him, but I don't really know him. We've never met and can't meet until I go on to be with the Lord. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but I cannot wait to sit down with this man who died in 1861 and just talk. But what about other opportunities to fellowship? You know, on the first Sunday of Advent, we talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And and think about what do you do at a a wedding supper? Well, you eat and you drink, you talk, you celebrate, you laugh, you eat dessert, lots of it. Uh, You know, and... And on the new earth, I'm convinced that chocolate, cake, and ice cream will be good for you, and kale will be fattening. <laughs> what else do you do at uh, a wedding supper? Well, you tell stories. Don't you? Don't you, when you get together with friends that you haven't seen for a while, don't you tell stories? Don't you catch up? And, and, and perhaps after we've caught up after we've told some of our stories to each other, one person has kind of imagined it this way. And I I just love this. And I want to tell you, this is absolutely possible. A hush comes over the wedding feast as certain guests are called forward to tell the great stories. And, And so, for instance, Moses comes forward to talk about the exodus from Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea. And David comes out and reenacts the Killing of Goliath and Mary comes out, the mother of Jesus, and tells us stories about when Jesus was a boy, stories that we know nothing about. And no one is going to grow tired. No one will need to head off to bed early because we will be young, we will be whole, and we will be filled with life. Now, if that seems to be kind of an uh, um, overstepping or over the top kind of thing, well, listen to this. Matthew 18, or Matthew eight eleven. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The fellowship we are going to have is going to be just amazing to be able to sit with men and women that we've read about and learn from them and hear from them and see them speak about what it was like to do the things that they did. We're going to enjoy the most amazing, the richest fellowship possible but we're also, secondly, going to enjoy the most fulfilling work. Now, again, if, I, if that sounds really terrible to you, let me just kind of explain. Uh, I, I get it. If it sounds really awful, I've got to work. I mean, I just, I just retired or I can't wait till I retire or I hate my job. You know, I get that. Uh, because work on this earth after the fall has been cursed. It is more difficult. It can become tedious, frustrating, menial. And for some of you, so much of your work is frustrating. You know, if you look around the world and you see the way people work and the kind of jobs that people have to do to survive, it is a very rare thing that someone gets to do in their life's vocation something that they really, really feel called to do. Most people around the world just have to make money to make ends meet. But, having said all that, work came before the fall. When God created Adam, he took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. So work was a part of the original Eden. It was part of a perfectly fulfilling life on earth. And for Adam and for Eve before the fall, there was nothing tedious about it. There was nothing menial or frustrating about it. It was, you know, each day when they would get up, it was as though they felt like this is what I was made to do. I cannot wait to get at it. But the curse made it so incredibly difficult. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So uh, you get the analogy. For them truly as gardeners in the Garden of Eden, thistles and thorns became really tough. Uh, For us there are all kinds of other frustrations that we experience in, in any kind of job. But on the new earth, the curse is going to be removed and the work that we do will again be fulfilling. I mean, you really will have the sense that you are doing what you were made to do. It will just ring true to the very inner depths of your being. When we enter heaven, we're not offered retirement. Yes, there will be rest. Now, all of eternity, in a sense, is rest. But it's not that we're lying on the bed sleeping all the time. Even the work we do will feel like rest because we'll be so energized to do it. When we enter heaven, we're not offered retirement. We're offered something so much better. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, we, we think oftentimes of, of ruling in, in terms of government. And will there be government? Of course there will be government some kind of government that will be in existence, headed by, of course, our Lord. But ruling is what we have always been supposed to do as as, as God's children, as God's men and women, boys and girls. He, He gives us, as it were, a part of his kingdom to exercise dominion over, whether it's in our home or in our workplace or at school or in the community. He's always told us to be about ruling in that way. And so what might it look like in in heaven? And again, this is how someone has imagined it. Do we know everything that it's going to be like? Of course not. God hasn't written that into the Bible. But here is one person's way of thinking about it. And uh, I think it's wonderful. Maybe you'll build a cabinet with Joseph of Nazareth or with Jesus Maybe you'll tend sheep with David or discuss medicine with Luke. Sew with Dorcas. Make clothes with Lydia. Design a new tent with Paul or Priscilla. Write a song with Isaac Watts. Ride horses with John Wesley. Now, if you don't know what that means, Wesley is considered the founder of the Methodist church. And uh, he traveled from village to village preaching by horseback. And he read and wrote his sermons on horseback maybe you'll sing with keith green maybe you'll write a theology on the trinity bouncing your thoughts off paul and john and augustine calvin and maybe even jesus our work is going to be delightful you know it's it's very difficult when someone is out of work unemployed uh, for them in that season and i have yet to meet to meet anyone who is unemployed who is also Happy or fulfilled. We were meant to work. It's part of the way God has made us. And one of the more wonderful things about life on the new earth is that we'll be able to pursue some of the things that we were doing on this earth or dreamed of doing on this earth, but ran out of time because we died. You may know the name Victor Hugo. If you don't, he's written some of the most amazing literature of all time, I think. Uh, Les Miz, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and you could go on and on. And he spoke in such a profound way of what he looked to the future to be like for him as a writer. This is what he said. For half a century, I have been translating my thoughts into prose and verse. History, drama, philosophy, romance, tradition, satire, ode, and song. All of those I have tried, but I feel like I haven't given utterance to the thousandth part or one thousandth part of what lies within me. And so when I go to the grave, I can say my day's work is done, but I cannot say my life is done. My work will recommence the next morning. The tomb is not a blind alley. It is a thoroughfare. It closes upon the twilight, but opens upon the dawn. We're going to work. We're going to fellowship. And most importantly, we are going to worship with all our might. One of my favorite examples of worship in all of Scripture is found in 2 Samuel 6, when David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of David, back to Jerusalem. And there we read about him that David danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, I'm not convinced that Presbyterians will dance before the Lord, but I do know this, in whatever way we worship, we will worship with all our might, or to put it into modern terms, we will leave it all out on the field. All of us, as, as followers of Christ, you know, we, we, we've had these moments, if we've known the Lord for any length of time, we, we've known moments, just moments of time when when there was a a sense that God was so very present with you that that you just wanted the the moment to go on forever. Uh, Maybe it was in a song or a a sermon or a retreat where you just had this wonderful mountaintop experience. And and at the end of that, you just think, can it not go on forever? I just want to feel like this all the time, that the Lord is right here present with me. and, And it's as though we're having this private conversation together. Uh, I can uh, tell you a couple of examples for me. This happens on occasion. I-, I-, I wish it would happen all the time, but it happens on occasion. So uh, one of the early times I remember was many years ago, probably 25 years ago, when I was at General Assembly, believe it or not, and uh, uh, Richard Pratt preached a sermon that night uh, that was on the kingdom of God, and it just opened my eyes to understand more about what is to come and what this present life is to be about and and quite frankly I was just in awe because I felt like the whole Bible had just come alive again to me and uh, I was walking out of the assembly hall with a dear friend a seminary uh, brother of mine who was one of my closest friends in in, in seminary who has already passed away and gone on to be with the Lord I cannot wait to see him again but uh, I remember the two of us this is the last time I saw him we walked out of that assembly hall And uh, we didn't know exactly what to say to each other. But because of what we had just heard, we knew that the rest of our lives would be different. I can also remember the time, gosh, I guess 15, 20 years ago when I was driving in the car, and uh, I was in Huntsville, and um, not too far from the church where we served. And and a a song I had never heard before—I think it was brand new at the time—by Nicole C. Mullins called "Redeemer" came on uh, the radio. And after about three or four lines that that I heard, I literally pulled off to the side of the road to worship because I knew I couldn't drive. It was just so tremendous. And, And here's just a kind of an example of what is in that song, and it just does such a wonderful job of paying tribute to the majesty of God, and then later on in the song, uh, to the tenderness of our God. But this is how she begins, who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who told the ocean, you can only come this far? And who showed the moon where to hide till evening? It is such a beautiful picture. And every time I hear it, I'm still deeply moved by it. I can't even read these words without feeling them again. It's in moments like that, and and God has given me a number of those moments uh, that I just wish they would never end. Why can't they go on forever? But they always end. But here's the glory of what is to come on the new earth. They will never end. Every moment, our hearts will be full of the beauty of our Lord. And in everything we do, whether work or rest or eat or play, whatever we are doing, it will be a kind of worship because we will do all to the glory of the Lord. Day after day, you will see the nail-scarred hands and realize in a new or different way that He did that for you. On the new earth, we are going to enjoy the richest possible fellowship We'll enjoy the most fulfilling work, and we will worship with all our might. And, and believe me, I am just scratching the surface, the, the surface of, of what we will do. There is so much that is so good that is so exciting. Uh, what is to come on the new earth is truly so much better than even the best moment we have had on this earth. The, the best moment, the, the richest moment with the Lord That time when you felt like he was speaking directly to you and they're right there for you. That is just a glimpse, just a foretaste of what is to come. C.S. Lewis put the future in a way that children can understand. And outside of Scripture and the ways, the many ways, Scripture describes our future, this is my very favorite way of thinking about what is to come. This is what he said. The school term is over. The holidays have begun. Now begins the real story of your life. All your life on earth is only the cover and the title page. Now at last you are beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. is such a dear way of picturing for God's children what is to come. Now perhaps we can understand Paul just a little bit better. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Would you pray with me? Father help us to believe this. We are so Accustomed to living by sight that it's very difficult for us really to live by faith in such a way that we truly embrace all that you have for us in your word. It, it seems almost too good to be true to think about life on this earth with no curse, no sin, no pain, no struggle, just joy, pleasure, delight, friendship, reunion. But, Father, it is true. May we truly believe it and long for the day when the whole world is set right. And all who follow you will know a life free, totally free, from all the terrible effects of sin. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.